you can go ahead and grab your Bible, grab your iPad, grab your iPhone, leave your Android in the drawer where it's supposed to be rotten. Y'all doing well? Y'all out here playing like y'all got the Holy Ghost or something like that. I was just like, man, bump the message. Let's just do Catalyst. Sing it again. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it reads this. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, if he found any Christians whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Father God, we're, we're grateful that not for one moment, not for one minute, have you left us, have you abandoned us. Matter of fact, God, I feel like you're not even walking with us, but you've gone before us, opening doors and shielding us from terror. God, we know that you are the friend that's closer than a brother. You're right here in this room, in this kitchen, in this living room to speak to us, to direct us, to lead us, God. I pray that you'd speak. And when you speak, we're already making the decision. We're going to obey. What you tell us to do, we're going to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, leaders. Can y'all say amen? Amen. It feels so good to have somebody talk back to you. Come on, if you're online, just type amen, 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 amen. We're jumping into a brand new uh, series, probably for the next four weeks or so, called Cancel Culture. I'm going to have y'all talk back to me all day long because I haven't had nobody talk to me in about three months. Somebody say cancel. Culture. We're uh, going to kind of take this, this, this popular phrase. Some of you guys are like, cancel culture, uh-oh, where are we going with this? Let's see where this goes. Some of you guys are like, what, what, what do you mean uh, cancel culture? I've never heard of that phrase in my life. Well, according to the Urban Dictionary, uh, cancel culture means <laughs> to blackball someone or an organization, to shun, to, to cut off. Here's a synonym for cancel culture. You are dead to me. As far as I'm concerned, you no longer exist. And we kind of find ourselves in a season where a whole lot of people are getting canceled. A whole lot of organizations are getting canceled. Kind of a mild, kind of playful, I don't understand this cancel culture. It would be this idea. If you still believe that Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich is better than Chick-fil-A's deluxe Pepper Jack smothered, spicy chicken perfection, as it properly should be named. If you believe Popeye's is better, you're canceled. 
you, I, I don't got time for you, I don't mess with you, because clearly you have no common sense or taste buds. I don't even know why we allow you to come to this church. <laughs> kind of a little bit more intense or a serious deal is right now we're seeing a whole lot of people get canceled by the public, whether it's celebrities or politicians or organizations or businesses, based on their response to the tension that's going on in our nation, particularly this racial reformation, as I'm calling, that's going on. It's okay, did this company speak up? Did this company, did, this say, did they say something? Did this happen? Did this happen or whatever? And if not, then you are canceled. What I want to talk about over the next four weeks is how, as believers, we should deal with canceling people. Should, should Christians be canceling people, canceling organizations? And, and bigger than that, how should, as Christians, we respond to the ever-changing shifts of culture? Should we oppose it? Should we stand on the side and do nothing? Should we jump into it? What should we do over this? How should we interact, I'll say it this way, with people or organizations that are detrimental to our well-being that mean us harm? Now, I do want to preface this series by saying this. Every time I write a message, every time I write a series, I always write it with a skeptic in mind. I never write a message to somebody who agrees with me because you already agree with me. I would write the message to like, oh, I, I did this hole there, and that's not right, and this is off, and all that. And I could kind of just feel the skeptic even as I was preparing this message. Oh, I know where he's going to go with this. Christians shouldn't cancel anybody. We should just love everybody. It's kumbaya. And that's a worldly thing, and that's not who we should be. Well, when you read the scripture, Paul said about some certain Christians, he said, turn them over to Satan for the saving of their soul. You don't get more canceled than turn them over to Lucifer. That's a level of cancel that I've never even seen before in my life. So let me help you for those of you who think you know where this series is going. It's not going to the love everybody, kumbaya, don't cancel anybody because that's not what scripture says. It actually says for some people, don't even eat with them, don't associate with them. What we're going to talk about is how do I create healthy boundaries in my life for people that are detrimental or organizations that mean me harm. How, how do I deal with, with, with family members, come on now, that are detrimental to who God's called me to be, or, 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 or friends, or, or employers, or, or whatever it may be. All that to say, you don't know where this series is going, so don't act like you know where this is going. But today, I am going to preach the message that you thought I was going to preach. I want to preach a message today called, I'm glad I'm not canceled. So we're talking about everybody who's canceling. This person didn't say this. This person didn't do this and all that other kind of stuff. I'm just glad that I'm, I know it's selfish, but you know, sometimes you got to start with me and then we'll worry about Judea, Samaria, and the other part of the world. But right now, I'm just glad I'm not canceling. This passage that we read in Acts chapter 9, we come across Saul. Saul, later to be known as the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles, wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. But here in Acts chapter 9, we find him as Saul. This is his B.C., his before Christ persona. This is the second time we find Saul in Scripture. The first time we saw Saul in Scripture in Acts chapter 7, where he was overseeing the execution of Stephen. I can't wait till I get to heaven. And I get to talk to Saul about killing my namesake, Stephen. Spelled with a P-H, by the way. The V is not biblical. P-H is what it says in Scripture. I just picture Saul being this kind of short fellow. 
<laughs> Got a big mouth, but can't really back it up. I can't wait to see you in heaven, Saul. But anyway, he literally oversees the execution, the murder of, of, of Stephen. And here in Acts chapter 9, we find him on his horse riding to Damascus with official papers to arrest any Christians that he finds bring them back to Jerusalem for their execution. Saul was in the business of murdering Christians. Saul was a jacked up individual. In Acts chapter 9, it says that he was breathing threats and murder. Now, it's one thing to speak a threat. It's one thing to say, I'm going to kill you, man. It's a completely different story. It says he was breathing, his breath, I don't know if it's talking about his halitosis or what, but it says that he was breathing murderous threats against the believers. There is nobody in scripture that should have been canceled more than Saul. Saul was a murderer. Saul was the definition of a racist. He hated anybody who didn't believe what he believed, came where he came from, or acted not to the point that he avoided them, to the point that he murdered them. Paul, Saul was a Christ hater. He literally, according to Jesus, was working against, was persecuting Christ. If anybody should have been persecuted, anybody should have been canceled, it should have been Saul. This is where we take just a, call, a pause and thank God that Stephen Chandler is not God. Don't praise too hard for that one. But I'm just telling you, if I was God, Saul would have been canceled. If, if I was God, by the way, you remember in, in the Old Testament that, that one or two times when the ground opened up and, and ate an entire family? That would have happened in every single chapter of my Bible. Like, I would have, the ground would have just been opening up constantly. You're canceled, you're canceled, you're canceled, you're canceled. Do not pass go, go straight to hell. Just open up, close up, over. That would have been if I was in control. Anybody grateful that I am not in control? No, God, looking at this murderer, this Christ hater, he did not cancel him. And I'm telling you, that should be an encouragement to every single person because we have to understand we serve a God that does not cancel people. Let me say it in a biblical way. He doesn't turn his back on people. He doesn't abandon people. He doesn't condemn people and just say, hey, you are useless. You are dead to me. We serve a God that is faithful. The Bible says even when we are faithless, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were objects of God's wrath, 2020, while you were ratchet, tripping, savage, all that other kind of stuff, he still loved you. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, the law, scripture, the, the Old Testament stepped in to amplify failure. So many people, they get tripped up over the Bible because, like, man, there's so many rules in it, and, and I, nobody can live up to that standard. Here's what the writer of Romans was saying, that that Old Testament didn't come to set the standard. It just came to show you how far off you were from missing it. He said that's always been the standard. It was just there to show you that you're way off. It amplifies our failure, but where sin increased, grace multiplied even more. Here's how we respond to people. When they mess up, we distance ourselves. When they say something dumb or do something detrimental or whatever, maybe it's like, nope, I got time for you. I'm going to set up. Listen, here's what God does when people mess up, when they make a mess of their life, when, when, when they're jacking things up. God says, that's what I was created for. He leans into the mess. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that we serve a God that doesn't cancel people because I've deserved to be canceled. 
Anybody is honest enough to admit that I deserve, there's some things that I've thought, some things that I've said, some things that I did in spring break 1998 that I deserve to be canceled, but for the grace of God. So hear me. God doesn't cancel people. However, just because he doesn't cancel people doesn't mean he does nothing. Doesn't mean that he just stands back and just lets you go ahead and do whatever you want to do in you and your life. There is something that God does. And I want to give you just three things, three things that God does. He doesn't cancel, but, but here's his substitute. And if you have your phone or taking notes or whatever it may be, write these down. The first thing that he will do is this. He, he will knock you down. He, he won't cancel you, but he will knock you down. Psalm 23.3 says this. He maketh me... Lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. I don't know if you're familiar with Psalm 23. It is a beautiful passage. It is so poetic. It talks about the Lord being our shepherd. I don't know why. I just start thinking about lamb chops from back in the day. And this nice, sweet little lamb. And this shepherd just leading the flock. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me. Lie down. Notice it didn't say he encourageth me. He suggesteth me. This is all King James. He, he, he doesn't even commandeth me. It says he maketh me lie down in green pastures. God won't cancel you, but he will knock you down. He, he, he will put you in a position to help you realize that you are not self-sufficient that you are not fully in control, that you are not in the direction that you need. I think that's what this entire pandemic has been about. And hear me, God did not cause this. This is not a cause of God, but he is using it to humble, I believe, an entire world and help us understand you still need me. I know you got self-driving cars and you got internet that don't plug into the cell phone anymore and all this other kind of stuff. But listen to me, self-sufficiency is not biblical. God never wanted us in a position where we say, hey, I am good unto myself. I don't need anything else. Come on, Baltimore, you're here with me. God is saying, hey, I need to help you understand that you're missing it. And I'll knock you down, even if I have to. I, I remember, I think it was senior year in high school. And I'm not going to give you the whole story. I feel the Holy Spirit when I was 16, had this radical encounter with God. And, and I don't know if I was called into the ministry. I think I just kind of volunteered. And, and I said, God, I, I want to do this for the rest of my life, help people find hope in you. And, and, and I was running after God. I was a youth director at my church at the time and, and all that other kind of stuff. But somewhere around that 18, senior year, right, heading into college, I just got apathetic. I, I, I just wasn't pursuing God with the same passion and hunger that I once was. I, I wasn't like drinking and sleeping around and all the stuff that people consider ratchet. I, I, I just kind of rocked back on my heels and just wasn't running after God with the passion that I normally had over the last three years. And I wasn't even concerned about it for the same reason that some of you aren't concerned about your faith. Here's why. I was the most spiritual person that I knew. Based on all the friends that I had, I was more godly. I didn't cuss as much as they did. I read my Bible more. I, I lived more set apart. So being compared to those around me, I was doing all right. And I find so many believers, they get stuck in that position where they look around them. And based on the friends that I have, I'm doing all right. Here's the problem. If you're lukewarm and you're hanging out with people that are ice cold, 
It's live in that chat room. It is quiet with the leaders up in the room. I'm, you know, sometimes you're preaching to the choir. But anyway, <laughs> when I'm comparing myself to people around me, I'm the most godly person I know. But hear me, you were never my competition. You were never my comparison. The Bible says that we should be like Christ. And if we're comparing ourselves to Christ, how many people know there is so much more growth that needs to take place in our life? But I just find myself kind of in this apathetic deal, and, and I was skipping class that day. I went down to Sorrento's on Route 40, had the best cheesesteak and fries in Baltimore until they changed marriage management. Now it's trash. But anyway, uh, I was joking, kind of not really. But anyway, ran and skipped class, got my cheesesteak, and, and as soon as I got in my car, I took the fries out of the bag because every fry connoisseur knows you do not keep the French fries in the bag. If you roll the bag up, they sweat, they get soggy. You might as well throw them out the window. Those are fries that are ruined. So I have them in my lap and you know you can't have hot fries in your lap and not baptize them in ketchup it's just like it is a waste of a french fry so I'm like ripping ketchup bags open and I'm baptizing my fries every time the traffic slows down minding my business and and, and going around the bend and, and it was kind of like I said it rained a few hours prior or whatever it may be but I'm driving and next thing I know my car starts to spin out of control not like fishtail, not swerve, but I'm talking about 360 just spinning. And I start to spin in the oncoming traffic. And it was like slow motion, saw the light, life flashing before my eyes type of event. And I'm like, man, is this really how I'm going out? Really, God? I mean, I didn't even make it to my honeymoon. You could have taken me the day after my honeymoon, but I mean, really, this is how I'm going out. I'm spinning in an oncoming traffic, and I see this minivan coming, getting ready to hit me. Just like, man, God, really? Next thing I know, I don't know if it was an angel, but my car starts continuing to spin, but out of incoming traffic, back into the lane that I just came out of. And I go, thank you, oh, man. I wasn't spinning to safety. I was spinning right to a tree that was on the side of the road. Here I thought God was trying to save me. No, he just didn't want to kill the poor lady in the minivan when he killed me too. He was saving them. He was still taking me out. I'm just like, man, God laid me down to sleep. No, that's the wrong one. I can't remember what else we be saying right now. But I mean, I just see my life flashing before my eyes. Yo, that car parked parallel perfectly inches from that tree. Remember, I'm sitting there, I'm shaking french fries, just completely ruined all over the floor, and I'm crying over my fries, and I, I just hear that still, small voice. I heard the Holy Spirit say, Stephen, why are you playing games? There's so much more that I've called you to. There's so much more that I have for you. Now is not the time to play games. He maketh me lie down. I find that God will have a way of catching your attention and letting you know, hey, this is not the track that I have for you. It may come from job loss. It may come from a health crisis. It may come from you just turning to all the friends that have always been there for you, and for some reason, they're just not there anymore. You ever been in a situation where you were just going through something, you pick up your phone and you text and you call everybody and nobody picks up, nobody responds? You even call that one loser friend that they always call, they always pick up, and they didn't even pick up. If you're not laughing, you may be that loser friend that always picks up, I'm just saying. But it's just like God has stripped every relationship from your life, and here's what's happening. He's making you lie down. He is knocking you down. Here's why. Because he knows that in order for you to get a new perspective, you need a new position. 
that you're not going to be able to see what he's trying to do in your life as long as you continue to ride forward in arrogance. He's going to have to humble you. One of the things that, that blows my mind, and this is just Stephen being judgmental, and you can, you can judge me later on, you've got some judgment Christians. But I watch people go through hardship and go through pain and not humble themselves before God. And I just think to myself, how much more drama do you have to go through before you finally realize that you do not have it all together and you do need to surrender to God? Here's what I've discovered, though. That while God will knock me down if I'm riding in arrogance and, and self-sufficiency and oblivious to the plan and the purpose and the destiny that he has for my life, I've discovered it's a lot harder to knock somebody down when they're already on their knees. I've also discovered it's actually impossible to knock somebody down when they're already in a position of worship. I've discovered I don't have to wait for God to knock me down. I can knock myself down. James chapter 4 verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. What I discovered is that God doesn't actually want to knock me down. He wants me to get down on my own. And I can actually make a decision on a daily basis before I go running out of the house. Ain't nobody leaving the house. Before I can do whatever I got to do, get on that Zoom call, get started about my business or whatever it may be, I can start my day in a humble position saying, God, you've given me a brain, you've given me a family, you've given me finances, you've given me all that I need. But all of that means nothing if it comes without you. God, I need you. I surrender all that I am. Lead and direct me. God won't cancel you, but he will knock you down. The second thing he will do is he'll challenge you. I don't know. I think, I think people read scripture through their personality. And I don't know what you think my personality is. You may see me as a sheltered goody two-shoe who's homeschooled. I think I'm a thug. That's just, that's just, that's just how I, I see myself. I see myself as a gangster. So every time I read scripture, I see it through gangster eyes. I mean, I just can't help it. It's just kind of, <laughs> pray for me. I've been locked in the house too long, obviously. But I just see it kind of through, and I think there is nothing more gangster than God's word. Like, here it is, Saul riding. He knocks him off of his horse, and I just see Jesus saying, what's up? Get up. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It came as a revelation to Saul that he was persecuting Jesus. He didn't think that he was persecuting Jesus. He thought he was persecuting Christians. But Jesus understood what every parent understands, that if you mess with my kid, you mess with me. That if you touch my child, you've touched me, and you've got a, if you've got a problem with my kid, you've got a problem with me. He didn't understand that for every Christian that he murdered, it's as if he had murdered Jesus all over again. Pause. Let's just take a little detour. If you're a follower of Christ, that's why you have to understand. You don't have to take vengeance, and you don't have to fight your own battles. Because anybody who does something to you, Jesus looks at it as if they have done it to him. That's why he says, vengeance is mine says the Lord. Matter of fact, if you have a coworker that's lying about you, if someone that's trying to take advantage of you, don't try to get back at them. Just pray for them. Pray one of these prayers. God help you. Because God says, if you've done it to them, you've done it to me. He said, Saul, why 
are you persecuting? Why are you working against me? Why are you kicking? He challenged the direction of his life. One of my favorite challenges in scripture comes in Job. You guys remember Job? We're in a three-month pandemic. Job was in a lifelong pandemic. You want to talk about jacked up life? Job's health was taken from him. He lost all of his children, all of his wealth, all of his possessions. The only thing that was left was his nagging wife. Now, this is not good preaching, but it's funny. I could only imagine Job like, really, God? She's the one you're going to leave. You could have taken everything else. You're going to take my old lady too? I mean, golly, let's just have a fresh start. Anyway, here is Job. And for 38 chapters, I'm going to have a little fun. I feel like Job was saying what many of us have been saying through this pandemic. I don't deserve this. Why, why am I going through this? Well, what did I do? Joe, I mean, he just goes on and on and on. I'm a follower of Christ. Joe's like, I tithe. I, I, I serve on the dream team. I, I, I never decline when people send me an invite. I always confirm within three weeks like everybody. I mean, they only do. <laughs> He's just going on and on and on. And Job had the same problem that many of us have. Job was comparing himself against other people. And he said, compared to them, I'm righteous. And for 38 chapters, he's arguing with his friends about how he doesn't deserve this. Finally, in verse uh, chapter 38, God speaks up. By the way, anybody feel like God's been kind of silent through this pandemic? It is like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just go ahead, bring your Bible, stop it, miracle, split the skies, do whatever you want to do. Like, you know, feel free to step in. But, but he just watched in silence. In verse 38, God finally speaks up. And here's what he says in verse 3. I love you. Don't get more gangster than this. God says this. He says, now prepare yourself like a man. Okay. He said, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you? Now, they put a period after answer me. I don't think there's a period there. I think God said, prepare yourself like a man. I'm going to question you. Where were you? He didn't even give him a chance to respond. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand how the cosmos work. Translation, you will never, ever, 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 ever be on my level. With Joe, Saul, you, me, God won't cancel you, but he'll challenge you. And he'll ask you what I asked my youngest Roman as he beats Zoe in the head with the cushion. What are you doing? I, I, I'd like to submit to you that through this unusual season that we're going through, that, that the Holy Spirit is asking you, Father, what are you doing? Mother, husband, wife, student, business owner, employee, what are you doing? And are you doing it for me? Or are you doing it for you? Here's the ironic thing. Saul thought that he was killing Christians for God. He thought he was defending his faith from some cult that was trying to adulterate the word of God. You may not know this, but Saul was a part of the most religious sect there ever was, called Pharisees. 
In order to be a Pharisee, you had to be one of the most intelligent people on the planet. No offense, all offense intended. Saul was smarter than all y'all. Not me, but y'all. In order to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the age of 13. So we're like, whatever, I got that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is that enough? Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I don't know why Joshua, Judge, Ruth, but that's how they lined it up. So Joshua, Judge, Ruth. No, 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 no. Not memorize the five names. Memorize the entire book. I preached the 830 service. I tried to start reciting Genesis chapter 1, and I completely failed, so I ain't even going to go there. But he memorized the entire five books. This guy was a genius. He thought what he was doing was in the name of God. Hear me, and I'm not going to stay here long, but I'm going to say it like this. He wasn't doing it in the name of God. He was doing it in the name of culture. What he thought was faith was not faith. It was culture. He was living out what he was told. He was living out what other Pharisees had interpreted Scripture to be, how he was raised, how he was directed. He wasn't living out according to Scripture because, hear me, God didn't become a God of grace in the New Testament. God was a God of grace all throughout the Old Testament. You can't say that God wasn't a God of grace when you look at a prostitute named Rahab and find out that she was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You can't say that God wasn't the God of grace when you look at a murderer, an adulterer like David, and hear God said, there will never cease to be a king. And he has always been a God of grace. But Saul wasn't living out who God was. He was living out who culture was. I'm just concerned with so many Christians that what we live is not what is Christianity. It's what we've been told. Christianity. So I don't actually tune in online every Sunday and watch a service because I want more of God, or I don't actually gather in a building because I'm desperate for more of God. I do it because I was told that's what a good Christian does. Because I want to be a good Christian, I'm going to do what the culture tells me to do. Here is Saul thinking he's on the wrong, right track, and the whole time he was completely left. You, you, ever, been, you ever been in a really good argument with somebody? Maybe a spouse or a friend or a coworker or whatever. I don't, I don't know, but I love to argue. Like I, I mean, my adrenaline starts going. I don't even listen to people. I'm just listening for my comeback. I'm just, I, I, I don't know about you. You may be more guy than me. I don't argue, you know, to find a solution. I argue to win. Like, that's the only point of it. But you ever been in an argument, you're just going back, and they're just talking, and you're not even listening. you just, oh, God damn, come back here and all that kind of stuff. And, like, halfway through the argument, they say something and you realize you're wrong. And in that moment that you realize you're wrong, you find yourself in the valley of decision. Do I humble myself and admit that I'm wrong? Nah. Or do I pick the 1% where they're wrong? 99% they're right, 1% they're wrong. No, it was Tuesday, not Wednesday. Everything else you said were right, but you got the day wrong. Listen, what's the point? You can be so convinced that you're right and that you're justified. And you can be completely wrong. Hmm. Husband, you can be so convinced the way you're leading your family is biblical. And it could be cultural. Hmm? Wife, you can be so convinced 
It's plain twenty. I'm like, what are you talking about? Submit, you take that submit, you damn bitches. <laughs> you could be so convinced that your approach to finances, how you care for your aging parents, or whatever it may be, I'm right. No, you're cultural. Well, how do I avoid being in a position where I think I'm right, but I'm completely off track? You do what David did in Psalm 139, verse 23. You pray this prayer. You say, God, search me. Y'all, that's the whole key. I can say amen right here. We can go home. God, search me. What, what, what are you trying to say? That as long as I search me, I can miss. Because I'm seeing through the lens of justification that I'm always right. So even if I'm wrong, I'm not going to see. It's not until I allow somebody else to search me. And by the way, if you get your blind friend to search your blind life, they're going to be just as blind as you are. The reason y'all friends is because y'all blind together. Yeah, I, I'm not a jerk, am I? Yes, you say to a jerk. <laughs> no, you cool, you cool. They just sensitive. The wrong person. So God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, God, I'm doing my best to live out my destiny, to be the husband, to be the wife, to be the employer and employee that you've called me to be. But I admit that I'm human and I can be getting it wrong. So God, I submit my path to you and I give you permission to point out corrections. God won't cancel you. He will knock you down. He will challenge you. Last thing is this, write this down. But he'll only do it to build you back up. Here's, here's my biggest beef with this whole cancel culture that's going on. And we'll talk. And you guys, if you know anything about me, you know I'm all about boundaries. You know I'm all about, no, you know, six feet. I've been doing six feet long before no pandemic. It's just, <laughs> that was funny. Anyway, here's my problem with this whole cancel culture thing. I don't think the goal of canceling people in culture is for reformation. I think the goal is for shame and humiliation. That when we've declared this celebrity, or this artist, or this politician, or this person is canceled, or whatever it may be, what we want to do is we want to shame them publicly and say, hey, don't mess with this person. How dare they think that, or, or look like that, or, or write that, or how, how dare? We're not looking for them to change. We're looking for them to be humiliated. Here's what you have to understand about God. When he humbles you, when he knocks you down, when he challenges you, it's not to shame you, it's not to embarrass you, it's not to expose you, it's to redirect you to the destiny that he has for you. Here's why. God understands that shame has never brought change. There's some of these, you know, funny Facebook videos or whatever, you'll have some kid that smoke weed or whatever, and their parents will take them outside and shave their head bald and humiliate them in front of their friends. Hear me, humiliation has never brought change. It only brings deep-seated rebellion. God says, my goal is not to embarrass you or to shame you or to expose you. My goal is to redirect you. Only reason I knock Saul down is to build him back up as Paul. Here, here's something about this passage that, that completely confuses me as I, as I close. Here is Saul. Somebody say Saul. Come on, right in the chat room. Somebody type Saul. You can say it, type it, whatever. He's on his way to Damascus. You're going to help me preach these last few minutes. Somebody say Damascus. To kill. Somebody say kill. Christians. God knocks him down. He challenges him. Strikes him blind. 
puts him back on the horse and sends him to Damascus. The only reason he was going to Damascus was to kill Christians. You would think that when God intercepts him, he would turn him around and send him back to Jerusalem. No, no, no. He said, keep going where you were going, but with a different perspective. Here's one of the reasons why we are so apprehensive of surrendering our lives to Christ. Here's one of the reasons why we, 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 we kind of ignore that still small voice of you're on the wrong track and all that. We have this fear that if I surrender all that I am to God, he's going to send me in the opposite direction. That's why he's telling me to break up and I ain't listening. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear it because God doesn't want me to break up and find somebody better. He wants me to break up and be some spinster and lonely and miserable for the rest of my life or whatever it may be. God doesn't want me to, to leave this company or to leave this job because he has a better one for me. He wants me to leave it because he wants me broke, living under a bridge, you know, whatever it may be. We have this mindset that God wants to destroy our plans. I said, no, 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 no. You're not even smart enough to come up with that plan on your own. I put that in your heart. But what I'm trying to do is to redirect it in a way that will actually make a real impact. I love this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Here's Jesus talking to his fishermen disciples. Somebody say fishermen. He said to his disciples, then he said to them, follow me, fishermen, and I will make you fishers of men. Y'all missed it. You didn't catch any little pun there? They were fishermen. He said, I'm going to make you fisher of. I know they're laughing in the chat room right now because this is hilarious. Okay, maybe it's not. They were already fishermen. They said, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. Let me say it this way. I'm going to use your skill set for the destiny that I always had for you. What I've placed inside of you, the way that you've been trained, developed your personality, that is of God. I've always wanted to use that, but for something that will last for eternity. One of the things that concerns me is when people get saved, they trash everything from their past life. And God's like, no, no, don't. I was going to use that. I mean, I was going to sanctify it, you know, clean it up, get rid of the profanity, but I was going to use that. <laughs> I have a purpose for that. He doesn't want to redirect and to ruin your plans. He actually wants to say, I always had that for you, but I want to use it for my kingdom. He won't cancel you. Or he'll knock you down. He'll challenge you. Only for the purpose of building you back up. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. God, that you promised that you'd never abandon us, that you'd never leave us. God, we're grateful. It's going to sound weird, but we're grateful that you're more committed to our lives than even we are. God, you have great things in store for us. Wherever you find yourself, whether you're the leaders in the room, the leaders of Baltimore online, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time. To make this message personal to me. Maybe you find yourself in a position of Saul that 
You thought you were following God, but in reality, you were following culture. Or maybe you find yourself as far from God as you ever could be. Just assuming that you've made too many mistakes and he's already given up on you, hear me? It's impossible for God to give up on you. But wherever you find yourself, if you say, you know, I can't say that I've ever given God the authority of my heart. I can't say that I've ever asked him to search me and to lead me in his way everlasting. But I want to. It would be my greatest privilege as a pastor to introduce you to a God that has been waiting for this moment. You say, Pastor, I can't say that God's the Lord of my life, but I want him to be right where you are. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for not abandoning me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I can have a chance so all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Be my Lord and my Savior and use me, my gifts, my talents, my ambitions, use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.